This is the American Medical Association's COVID-19 Update Podcast. This is part of an ongoing series featuring critical insights from the physicians and healthcare professionals on the front lines of the pandemic. Hello, this is the American Medical Association's COVID-19 update. Today, we'll be discussing practical tips for physicians engaging in telehealth with Marsha Redman, an executive presence coach in Potomac, Maryland. I'm Todd Unger, AMA's chief experience officer in Chicago. Uh, Marsha, why don't you start by telling us a little bit about who you are and what you do? Yes, thanks very much. Uh, So my background is that um, initially I was a broadcast television reporter. So I have an undergrad degree in broadcast journalism. And then I went to law school. I practiced law at Gibson, Dunn & Crutcher. I was a litigator. And I found uh, that it wasn't quite as fun as I thought it would be. So I went back to TV news. And then about 20 years ago, I started working mostly with lawyers, but also with physicians and other professionals, teaching them how to communicate effectively in the course of their work. And so now in the last year, almost a year, uh, my focus has been completely around virtual communications for professionals. And that's a really kind of a big change in communication, of course. Or how, how are you finding that as a challenge, particularly with physicians? Yes, it is challenging. And for, for many professionals, the trick is that we're not used to being on camera. And so uh, understanding the need to translate the way we communicate and the need to connect one-on-one over the camera is the biggest challenge. And so as we as we think of physicians in the course of their work, they're so used to doing in-person uh, communication for the most part that it has been really a drastic sea change. Yeah, so this is no longer just the, the fun part, you know, for your social feeds or anything like this. This is an important part of doing your job well. Yes, absolutely. And and really the number one issue that I see, and this holds true across the board for all professionals, uh, but I feel it's even more important for physicians, and that is the need to be able to make eye contact on camera. And um, I'll, I'll, I'll say uh, I've had two telehealth visits uh, in the last nine months. Both of them were amazing for many reasons. But in one instance, the physician really didn't make eye contact with me. And I have to say, um, I work a lot with lawyers and I find for them too, it's it's just not natural to stare at the webcam, but that is what we have to do in order for our patient on the other end to feel like we're looking at them. So if I'm speaking to you and I'm looking over here, maybe because I have a laptop with the webcam and then I have another, maybe a bigger screen over to the side, which is where I'm looking at charts or other information about the patient, they don't feel like I'm looking at them. And it can be really very off-putting. And that and so, may not just be, you know, an in-person versus virtual syndrome, because what you find if you've been to, you know, in-person visits is there's a lot of work as, as physicians have to kind of chart through their, their EHRs screen after screen when they're not looking at you. And that's part of, you know, a big cause of physician burnout is that uh, physicians are spending so much time behind the laptop and not necessarily face-to-face or even eye-to-eye with patients certainly as much as they'd want to. Yes, and that makes sense. And, and so, and so the takeaway here, I think, is to 
to connect at the beginning. And so at the beginning of the visit, as, as you would in person, might you might shake their hand or really look at them and greet them, is to do the same thing here, paying special attention to the eye contact so that at the very beginning, they connect with you, you connect with them, and you establish that bond. And then later, when you're delivering important information, to connect again with the eye contact. Well, let's talk a little bit about kind of the the underpinnings and infrastructure that you need to make kind of virtual communication successful. Um, you know, you mentioned right up front that need to have eye to eye contact there. Is there anything that someone should do to facilitate that uh, in terms of their equipment to start with? Yes, for sure. So the, so the other thing that makes it easier to make eye contact is to make sure that the webcam is in the right place. And so the, the key and the only thing you need to remember is that your webcam should be at your eye level. And so if, if you want to test it, you can put your hands next to your own eyes and then move them out until you hit your webcam. I'd say about 80% of the time, what we end up doing is this because we have a laptop sitting on a desk. And so the webcam is way too low. And so it's shooting up at you, which is not the look that we want. Basically, it's shooting up your nose. And so, again, it doesn't feel like we're looking at the, the person or the patient on the other end. So it's important to get that webcam up to eye level, whether it's a laptop or an external webcam, to sit it on books or boxes or whatever it takes to get it to eye level. That can make a huge difference. And so, so the webcam at eye level is the first step. And the next one is to be sure that the webcam uh, has decent decent resolution. So if you look like you're in a room full of fog or if if it's very shaky, you might need to invest in an external webcam. So I just uh, I don't know if the audience is up noted, but I uh, I have upgraded my webcam. Uh, not super expensive to do. A lot of uh, different models out there available on the market. Just kind of clip right on top of your laptop. And I think it's probably tough because a physician is not just listening and making eye contact. They're they're taking notes, and a lot of times they're typing those notes at the same time. So that's kind of tough to do, just logistically, isn't it? Yes, for sure. For sure. And, and I think that's one of the benefits of having, if you can get the, if you can have an external webcam that's up higher and then you have your, your keyboard uh, down lower. For many people now, and certainly we see it with the, the kids and the professors that are doing school all day, is people will actually get a webcam that's on a tripod or up at the right level and then end up using um, basically an, a, a, uh, a little wireless keyboard, which is down on the desk because, you know, none of us want to end up with carpal tunnel syndrome at the end of this. And Absolutely. so separating those levels uh, can be helpful. See, I learned all these important lessons from my 20-year-old, uh, my Instagram in advisor here on proper camera angles. But there's also one other uh, very key thing, which you talk about is lighting. So let's talk a little bit about that. Yes, for sure. And so Again, if your webcam is not the greatest resolution, you can sometimes compensate by having better lighting. Uh, now, the reason this matters, and I think many of us may may know this in the back of our minds, but I want I want to bring it out and spell it out, which is again for our patients to feel like we're looking right at them and we're connecting with them and that we form that immediate bond of trust or reestablish that bond of trust, they need to be able to read our expressions. 
And so that means they need to be able to see our faces clearly. So see our eye contact and read our face. That requires light. And so many of us don't have enough light or we have too much light. And so couple of easy hacks. One is to simply use any kind of desk lamp and bounce it off of the wall in front of you. And so that will soften the light so that it's not too bright and it will uh, make the color of the light better as well. But you can bounce it off of the wall in front of you and then it shines on your face. What a lot of other professionals do sometimes if they have an external monitor that they've attached to their laptop, you can put that behind your laptop and elevate it. And then uh, the this, just that white screen of the monitor will shine on your face over top of the webcam. And so that can illuminate your face very nicely without having to go and get extra equipment. Of course, if you want to, you can always get a ring light on Amazon, which is a, a relatively small light that's powerful, and you can shine that right on your face. One last thing I'll, I'll say about lighting, a big mistake many of us make is we have light behind us that's shining toward the camera. That's a big no-no. What that does is it causes the camera to think that that's what's important, and then it makes your face very dark. And so your patient then cannot read your expression or see your face because in, suddenly now uh, it's hard to see you. Yeah, it's kind of like having a conversation with someone like facing the sun. Um, it's just really hard to kind of focus on that. Again, you know, that's important in any kind of video or photography. And I definitely, you know, recommend, you know, the, the ring light is a great solution to that. Do you recommend also that people have kind of like a, a fixed setup uh, so that they don't have to like kind of scurry every time they want to have uh, a video conversation? Yes, that makes it much easier because then you, you've handled all of the parameters. So you've dealt with your camera angle. You have your lighting set up. Uh, for example, what I see a lot of people do is at certain times of day, there may be a window behind them or next to them. And so bright light shines in sometimes, and then sometimes it doesn't. And so that can be very disconcerting to show up all of a sudden, need to be on camera, need to, need to do a video call. And suddenly the whole situation looks different, but you're not sure why. Um, for some people, they may have two locations in their house, both of which they've set up, depending on the needs of the family. Uh, so, but if each situation is is rather nailed down, then they'll always know that they can uh, they can show up and do what they need to do. Um, how do you feel about these kind of virtual backdrops versus you know just showing kind of what's behind you? I have a really strong opinion. Uh, a lot of people may disagree with me, but I find in most cases, the virtual backgrounds are very distracting because they're not effective. Uh, if, if you move your arm forward or back, if you, if you shift from side to side, parts of your body disappear. Your ears can disappear, your shoulder, your arm. I personally find that to be very distracting. One thing that is helpful, and, and this is showing up on more platforms, sometimes you're able to to do something called blur. And what that does is it blurs your background. So it's not replacing it with an image, which is much harder on your computer and, and doesn't work as well. But instead it blurs the background, which I find tends to work a little bit better. My preference is to try to simply make the background behind you a little bit less distracting. Obviously mine is a little bit like a set because I do virtual workshops all day. But for all of us, the goal is really to declutter a little bit 
or simply to get more space between your back and whatever's behind you. And so if, if, if I had a bookshelf with a lot of books behind me, if I were able to get a, an extra foot or a foot and a half between my back and the bookcase, it would help uh, my patient to have their focus on me and not be sort of leaning in and trying to read the books on my shelf, which many of us have had that experience uh, as we've been on camera, is, is whatever's behind us is a little more interesting than whatever we're doing. So that's a simple solution uh, to managing your background. I, uh, I'm glad that you had the opinion that you did in terms of the virtual backgrounds. I agree with you 100%. They are very distracting to see kind of that digital imagery uh, every time someone moves. I tend to, you know, when we talk to guests here, to keep it very simple in terms of the background. I'd rather have just a solid color wall uh, than a lot going on in the background. And just, you know, for purposes of recording here, this is an actual kind of like wall sticker uh, that, uh, unfortunately for my daughter, I have applied to the wall in her bedroom. So she has AMA wallpaper. But uh, the real thing does tend to work, and that's not just an outrageously expensive solution. If you know tele- telehealth is going to be incorporated as a daily aspect of your of, of your practice, that it makes sense to invest in something that's kind of a fixed place, and you can just sit down and you know look great, sound great, and be able to do those things that you're talking about in terms of having you know quality eye contact and a lot of uh, or a lot not a lot of distraction. So would you also you coach folks on? kind of, you know, preventing, uh, presenting as professional and credible during their telehealth encounters. You know, what else do you, you know, see typically or recommend? Yes. So another thing to manage is the noise, uh, the noise, any background noise, as well as your own audio. And so to choose a place in your house where you have as much control over noise as possible. The other thing I recommend if, if you do have a situation where there might be noise, whether it's street noise or a pet or a child, uh, dogs that bark when the mailman comes, uh, is to consider using a headset. So the headset that I'm wearing covers both of my ears, which is really helpful because I'm a person who's very easily distracted. And so while I'm talking, I don't want to be distracted by the noise in my environment. And then the microphone is a noise-canceling microphone. And so that means even if there is a loud noise here at my house, my audience won't hear it. And so that gives me a lot of comfort uh, because, uh, like you, I am sitting here all day doing things like this. And so I know I don't have to worry that much about the noise. What about clothes? I know that, you know, for instance, here, you know, I don't wear a a light gray jacket ever on the screen because I just, you know, will blend right into my background there. Uh, You don't ever want to be wearing kind of green screen outfits either. You know, are there any things that you particularly recommend in terms of clothing? Yes, color is something to think about. Um, so sadly, uh, there are sometimes issues, especially if your if your webcam it doesn't have a really great resolution. There are issues with wearing white, and so I know doctors often wear that white is a lab problem. coats. Yes, that is a problem. and so in in many cases it's fine, but in some cases it's not. So the thing to do is check, uh, see how you look. T- uh, t- you can even take a screenshot of yourself while you're on camera. Uh, in a telehealth situation or have someone on the other end, maybe someone who works with you, take take a little video or take take a screenshot so you can see how it looks. Uh, I recognize and, and I would always, I would normally say, wear the clothing that you would wear if you were meeting in the office, uh, but white, white can be problematic. 
having said that, I would say that the other thing to avoid is large contrast in color. So a black and white uh, striped shirt or a black and white polka dots or something like that, because there's so much contrast, it can cause the camera to almost shake. And so uh, as far as colors go, that would be my recommendation. And then beyond that, you know, to look professional, but to, to, to dress in a way that makes sense given the context. You took care of the nation. It's time for the nation to take care of you. The AMA stood by America's physicians and patients during the pandemic, and we're not stopping there. We're fixing prior authorization, leading the charge on Medicare payment reform, supporting telehealth, fighting scope creep, and reducing physician burnout. It's time to rebuild, and the AMA is ready. To learn more about the AMA Recovery Plan for America's Physicians, go to ama-assn.org slash time to rebuild. So uh, you mentioned, of course, right up front about eye contact. Are there any other kinds of, uh, you know, visual cues uh, that that patients pick up on uh, that you want to kind of make sure to to uh, to focus on during that kind of conversation that keeps, you know, the personal connection active? Yes. And so the eye contact piece, as you mentioned, is crucial, recognizing that the physician does need to take notes and, de- and do those things that, that she or he needs to do, but certainly at key moments to, to, stop, to stop doing uh, the writing or the typing and really focus and connect with, with the patient, uh, whether it's when you're delivering uh, specific news or when you're delivering uh, the, the key thing that, that this person needs to begin doing or you need to make sure that they understand to be able to make the eye contact, maybe pause for a few moments so that you know you have their attention and to modulate the voice. And so uh, one of the things that, that we find for, for all of us in these situations, and I'm sure it's especially, I know it's especially important for physicians, is to have that energy level that connects with the patient. And so the first piece, of course, is the eye contact. But the other piece, the piece that really communicates energy and care is the voice. So when we're in person, much of that energy level and that sort of connection comes from the body. But in the virtual situation, it's much more about the voice. And so all of you as physicians are good with your voice. I'm sure you all do a fair amount of work on the phone. And so the things that you do on the phone to connect are the same things you want to do with your voice in this telehealth situation. And so a conversational tone to have warmth in the voice, which often includes a variation in pitch, and to really have that care and connection uh, that you really are communicating through the way you use your voice. And for a lot of us, smiling, breathing for a moment, really looking uh, looking at the, at the patient can help us to do that. That's really important because, you know, like we just started, we talked before this, you know, you can really only see very small portion of me. So, so much is reliant on voice and just facial expression. And that's kind of the, the limited scope of what you would get on camera. When you're, uh, you know, moving on from kind of the physical stuff, you know, when we talk about the communication part, some of that stuff can be pretty complex and complicated. What recommendations, uh, recommendations do you have for physicians to communicate, you know, particularly complex things uh, virtually. Yes. And this is the, the 
same advice for all of us. It's, it's challenging. The most important thing is to be clear yourself as the physician, what are the key things you need to communicate? So as you think about this patient, as you think of the advice or uh, the information you need to gather, and certainly at the end, the takeaways, here's what you need to do at, after this appointment, is to be very concise and very directive. And so to, to really to make bullets and, and almost to deliver it in a bulleted sense and then to check in, which, uh, you know, in person, we can read their body language. We can see on their face in person if they're confused or if they're not agreeing or they don't look like they're going to do it when they leave. Uh, in this context, it's harder to read. And that's one of the reasons why it makes sense, if possible, to try to get the patient to move closer to the camera or to turn a light on to do something so that you can see their face clearly in addition to making sure that they can see your face clearly so you can read them. Um, and I also recommend that you use uh, what I teach, which are called signal phrases or signal words to say things like, here's the most important thing for you to remember after this appointment, pause, and then give them uh, hopefully one short declarative sentence. Or there are two things you need to start doing once we finish this appointment. Pause. The first thing is blah, blah, blah. Pause. The second thing is you may want to write this down. So, and and again, not not in a way that's that's demeaning, but just to say, you know, and you can even say this you know, doctoring uh, by video call is new and it, and it may feel a little bit awkward. And so I'm going to be very clear and give you specific things to write down. And it's so, interesting because those are, you know, those are interesting adaptations. And, you you know, listening to you talk, some of those things obviously would be helpful in an in-person setting, too. But you do have to adapt yourself to like how people are interacting normally with computers, which even in communication, I, when I talk to folks that I work with, it's kind of like, you know, you get one sentence and three bullet points is what I always tell them because people have moved on to the next screen by then. And that yes. it's funny to hear you basically saying simplify bullet points, remind people have them take notes. Like all those things are around them at this point and they can do that rather easily. Yes. Yes. It is easier in that sense. And also one thing that, that I would recommend, and I've, I've seen this from my own experience uh, with my father is to say, are there others in your house that you'd like to join us on the appointment? Mm -hmm. If, you know, only if they want to, of course, but someone else who could write it down or having a second set of ears, you know, since it is a virtual appointment, that's much more possible perhaps than if it were an in-person appointment. And so maybe it's a teenager, maybe it's, you know, maybe it's a grandchild or someone else who's in the house who can listen, who can take notes, who, um, you know, that second set of ears can really make a difference, especially yeah. in those cases where it might be upsetting or new information. Uh, you know, sometimes the brain doesn't let information in if there's emotion involved. And I don't know in terms of privacy rules, like what kind of complications are, but I guess, you know, you would have to kind of ferret that out in advance, so to speak. I mean, this, it kind of gets to something uh, that I want to ask you about, you know, for really difficult conversations and, and physicians have a lot of those with their patients. Are there, is there anything additional to keep in mind? I, I would say there's, there's even more need to be very clear and very concise, and and to have those phrases at the ready. Uh, some some people like to warn people and say, you know, I have some news that may be hard to hear, but we have a plan. 
pause and then deliver the information. It may be in those cases, and I suspect a lot of physicians do this already, is if they know they're delivering tough news or complex news, they may suggest to the patient that they may want someone with them during the appointment. Uh, as support and also as another set of ears. But certainly, uh, again, as I mentioned a moment ago, and, and I've seen it um, in our own family, when when the news is complex or it's scary or bad in a sense, uh, it's, it's often hard to hear and remember what you heard. Mm-hmm. And so it's great to have another set of ears and certainly to have, have people around for support. Well, one thing we didn't talk about uh, earlier, and it, it's a real issue because we can't just assume that everybody's got high-speed broadband, you know, connections. Um, you know, what do you do about connectivity? Uh, that could really throw a wrench into a, a video conversation. Yes, for sure. I I would always recommend that that the physicians make sure that they have a phone number. So in case in case the internet connection is problematic, in case uh, the video call is dropped, to know in advance that this is the right number, that this is the number that this person can be reached on. And typically, in most cases, of course, someone's mobile phone is different than their internet connection, and so they would still be able to to get through. Um, the other thing is, you know, if, if they feel like doing it, the physician could could try to troubleshoot a little bit and say, you know what, why don't you um, close out the call and then log back in? Many times that will solve the problem, uh, but having that backup phone number really makes a difference. Well, uh, kind of last question here, you know, we have talked to some educators about how they're starting to build training in uh, about telehealth into uh, their uh, education and training programs. But for physicians that want to get kind of more information on how to implement, you know, best practices in telehealth, you know, what are the first steps? Sure. So I I would always say, uh, and certainly with all the clients I work with, the first steps are to find out what are the questions, what are the challenges. So to really survey the audience, whether it's a a group of hospitals, a group of doctors, find out what they're doing, find out where the challenges are. And then it always makes sense to do some sort of training. And of course, it could be virtual um, around best practices. Uh, Having having surveyed their specific environment, then to be able to give specific best practices, and even uh, to do uh, what I like to call checkups, uh, oddly enough, to work individually or in small groups to work on the virtual persona as uh, and, and kind of run through that checklist one by one and, um, and to fix, fix the lighting, fix the camera angle, the audio, all of those issues. It's a pretty quick process, but then each of the professionals knows it's been handled. Do you do kind of workshops on your site or how do you how do you get kind of do this at scale? Yes, I do. Um, so the easiest way to get in touch with me is to go to my website, which is my name, Marsha, M-A-R-S-H-A dot com. And uh, my easy you have email. Marsha dot com? I do. Isn't wow. that funny? You must have been in early on that domain. <laughs> Literally the first day I went on the Internet, I bought my name. <laughs> Good for you. I wasn't that yeah. smart. Um, well, that's fantastic. Um, you know, it's uh, there's a lot to learn. And, and uh, physicians obviously have years and years of training. And I don't think uh, uh, they expected when they went into this that uh, doing a great virtual call was something they'd have to add to their list. So this has been really fun, really interesting, really practical and helpful. So thank you so much uh, for being on the uh, COVID-19 update with us today. That's it for today's update. For more information on COVID-19, visit ama-assn.org slash COVID-19. Have a good day. 
This content was originally published as part of the AMA's COVID-19 daily video updates. Find the latest at ama-assn.org slash COVID update. Subscribe to other great AMA podcasts available wherever you listen to yours or visit ama-assn.org slash podcasts. Thank you for listening.